We continue our series in Fight For It. Say that with me, Fight For It. Last week we talked about fighting for the faith. This week I want to preach to you for just a little while about never alone. Would you say that with me? Never alone. It's a good thing, isn't it, to have an assurance that you're never alone? How many of you have ever had a project going on where you could have used some help? You know what I'm talking about? I mean, maybe you just needed somebody to hold something up while you put a nail in it. Maybe you, you had a situation where an extra set of hands would have been welcome. Did you ever lift anything that was just a little too heavy? You know what I'm talking about? Just, just a little too heavy for you to handle and, or, or something. Did you ever try and pick something up and carry it that was just awkward shaped? And it's not that it was too heavy. It's just you couldn't get a hold of it right. And you thought, man, if, if, if there was just someone else here, it would be so beneficial. I got some good news for you. We're never alone. <laughs> Turn around, look at your neighbor and say, we're never alone. As a matter of fact, even the scripture talks to us about how good it is to have help. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 to 10, it says two are better than one. Everybody say that. Two are better than one. Two million dollars are better than one million dollars. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Man, it's a, it's a sad thing if you're just isolated yourself, if you're just alone. I used to hang sheetrock for a living, and I didn't make much of a living doing it. But that we had guys, I got paid by the hour. There were, there were two guys that came on our job sites. They didn't get paid by the hour. They got paid by the foot. And these guys were incredible to watch. It said two are better with one. And what did the scripture say here? It said because they have a good reward for their labor. One of these guys working by himself could not have done near what they both did. These guys, I would watch them, they would call out measurements and the other guy would start cutting. And I'm telling you, they put boards up so quick because there were two of them. They knew what their focus was. They knew what they were doing. They were able to knock down some cash in a hurry because they had come together. They talk about horses that when you put one horse pulling a load that could pull, I believe that horse could pull, it was 20, 2,500 pounds. But if you put two of them together, that horse now, those horses together could pull 10,000 pounds. Because two doesn't just magnify it twice as much. Think about what the scripture said. One can put a thousand to flight, but two can put 10,000 a flight. There's something powerful about coming together, about unity. Listen to Psalms 124. The psalmist writes about the need for God, that, that need to have him there in your life. It says, what if the Lord had not been our, on our side when people attacked us? 
They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a hunter's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. How many of you glad that God's on your side? Oh, come on, man. I mean, how many? The, the scripture said, if God be for us, who can be against us? There's something powerful about having God on your side. You know, you, you just can't navigate this walk without him. And the truth is, is he never intended for us to. But how many times have you seen somebody trying to do that? Trying to just go it alone. He wants to be there for us. And the truth is, he's helped you out of more stuff that you never knew about than he has things that you were aware of. Just ask Peter. The Lord went to Peter and listened to his words. The Lord speaks to Peter and he said, Simon, I, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. I want you to catch that. This is Matthew, I'm sorry, this is Luke 22, verse 31 and 32. Did you catch that line? Jesus said, and when you have returned to me. Peter was wandering away from him and he didn't even realize he had. And Jesus is trying to let them know there's a battle that's been going on that you know nothing about. Satan wanted to have you. He wanted to sift you like wheat. He wanted to do you in. But I've prayed for you. I've been right by your side. I've been making sure that the enemy couldn't take you out. And he said, so when you're converted, in other words, when in your mind and in your heart you come to the realization that you could not have done this without me, then you strengthen your brothers. Because as long as you feel like you can do it alone, you're never going to be able to help anybody. But the moment you recognize it's that it's through your weakness that he's made strong and that without him we're nothing, then you can help somebody. And Peter, look at Peter's response. Peter looks at him and he says, hey, Lord. I'm ready to go to prison for you, and I'm, I'm ready to die for you. What do you mean, I, you know, the Satan? I'm, I'm here for you. He has no clue where he's at with God relationally. How many of you have ever felt like everything was good and then had something shake your world? Peter was so sure of himself. I'm ready to go to prison with you. I, I, I'm ready to die for you. But Jesus responded and said before the rooster crows today, you're going to deny you know me three times. Sometimes we get so sure of ourselves, and instead of seeking after him, we take his presence for granted. Anybody ever been there? You know, we just assume that he's always going to be there, and we, we just kind of stroll through life, and we're not seeking him like we do when things are going wrong. We're not see. I, I wanted to print a bumper sticker up one time that had a picture of a big mountain and one guy standing at the bottom of it 
wiping his head, looking up at it in fear, and another guy standing on top of it with a flag planted on top of that mountain. And and the inscription would read, I served God before the mountain. Because if you serve him before you face that mountain, he's going to get you to the top of it. But when, you, when you're just lackadaisical and you're, you're just kicked back and you're relaxed and, and you're just kind of floating around and you're not really pursuing God, you just assume and you take for granted that he's always going to be there and you're not seeking after his face, it can get you in a mess. Anybody in the house today? I, I'm going to play a clip for you in just a moment. Before I do, I, I want to set it up because I want... I think this illustrates the understanding about when all of a sudden we we just take things for granted. We just assume that he's there. This is a story about a boxer who was framed for murder. His name was Tommy. He hired two private investigators to try and help him clear himself and prove his innocence. And in the midst of that, Tommy devised a plan that one of the investigators would pose as a boxer. Somehow, Tommy had gotten a hold of a serum that could render him invisible, and he was going to go into the ring with that investigator, and he told him, he said, you've got nothing to be worried about. I'll be right there with you. And in the middle of that fight, the investigator didn't realize that Tommy had left the ring to try and gather evidence and listen to someone's conversation. So everything turns upside down on him because he just assumes that someone's there with him. Go ahead and roll the clip, please. Hey, Tommy, here's where we ring down a curtain. Left jab, left jab, left jab, left jab, right cross. saved him. He'll never come out for the next round. Come on, Lou. Snap out of it. Tommy, you're here. Yeah, good. You fight him for a while. I'm tired. Get in and make it look good. have never seen anything like it. Louie looks like he's out on his feet, but he's managing to avoid most of Rocky's punches. Rocky's swinging wild. One, two, 
Right cross. Left cross. Right cross. Right to the stomach. Uppercut. I think they want to watch the rerun. That may seem far-fetched to you, but let me tell you about a story about a man by the name of Samson that just assumed that God was with him. He'd given up seeking God a long time ago. He'd grown so accustomed to the Lord always showing up in his battles that he began to take the Lord for granted, and he just assumed that the battle would always be his. How many of you know that the only way that we're able to defeat the enemy is through Jesus? The only way, and, and not just the fact that Jesus exists, but because we're pursuing him and we're seeking him and we're going after him. It's the only way that we're able to win the day. Samson got to the point where he was more concerned about what he wanted than he was about what God wanted. And he found himself not seeking after God, but seeking after Delilah. Everybody say Delilah. I'm going to tell you there's always going to be a Delilah in your life. There'll always be something to try and show up to zap you of your strength, to steal your relationship, to disconnect you from God. And Samson just assumed that God would always be there. And you know what happened to him when all of a sudden he woke up and he said, I'm going to go out and shake myself as at other times. And it said that he didn't even know that God had left him. Just like in that clip where Lou is in there. And he thinks he was so cocky when he first went in there because he knew that Tommy was in there with him. And he walked up, knocked that guy down, then slipped that foot and pulled him off. And he's so sure of himself until all of a sudden now he walks out and he doesn't realize he's there alone. I'm telling you right now that I'm no match for the devil. But let me finish that sentence with this. The devil is no match for my God. And as long as I'm willing to hold on to him, him and walk after him. David said it this way, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil because you're with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What's he saying? As long as you're in the ring, I'm able to take on the enemy, but I am not going to be deceived into thinking I can do this by myself. I've got to hold on to him. I've got to hang on to him. I, I've got to make sure that I'm pursuing him because he's the one that fights our fights. What did David say? David said, the battle isn't mine. It's the Lord's. But David was confident going out after Goliath because he'd been seeking God before. You know, when You've been seeking God and the enemy shows up. It doesn't take you by surprise. When you've been knitting your heart to the heart of Christ and all of a sudden trouble comes your way, you don't get 
all bent out of shape and go into a fit and, and, and begin to panic and worry, you stand your ground, you look them in the face, and you say, if God be for me, who my friend can be against me? I've been made more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. When you understand that, you're never alone. Everybody say it with me, never alone. If you choose to pilot your own ship, he's going to let you. How many of you have ever just tried to navigate something without God? You know what I mean? Oh, I, I got this. I don't need to check in with God for this. I remember a preacher getting ready to buy a car, and he, he went in, and this salesman was showing him this car, and he said, man, this is the kind of car a preacher needs. And he said, I don't know. I need to pray about this. He said, take it home. Just take it home with you. you. You can pray about it, but just go ahead and take it home. So he drove the thing home, had it parked outside. He got down on his knees and started praying. He said, this is a true story. He started praying. He said, God, he said, can I have that car? And the Lord told him, no, don't get that car. He told me, he said, I got up off my knees. I walked to the window and I looked out. He said, the moon was bright. He said, those, those baby moon hubcaps were glistening in that moonlight. He said, I went back down on my knees and said, God, can I please have that car? And he said, the Lord told him, don't get that car. He said, I got back and I went and looked out the window again. He said, I saw it was convertible. It had that white patent leather seats. I saw those seats. I said, got back down on my knees and said, God, can I please have this car? And God said, go ahead and get it. He went ahead and he bought that car. He told me, he said, three months later, I wished I'd never seen that car. He said, the engine was shot. It wouldn't run. He said, I had nothing but trouble. But it's because he pursued something more passionately than he did God. How many of you know we get into trouble when we have something in our heart that we're more passionate about than we are God? I know nobody's like that in here, but I know a lot of people. So there was a guy that I won't call his name in case he's watching, but you know who you are. <laughs> he, every deer season, he backslid. True story. Every deer season, he'd backslide. He'd been coming to church for a while, and, and I, I, I started noticing this, and I went and talked to him, and when I started talking to him about it, he, he said, well, you know, he said, look, he said, uh, you know, we're just, we're just traveling around. We're trying to find out, you know, the church that's right for us, and, and, and so we've just been traveling around. So I looked at him. I said, well, where have you been? Man, his face dropped. He wasn't expecting that question. He hadn't been anywhere. He said, well, I've just been traveling around, you know, trying to find a church. I said, where have you been? And he, he you know, we really haven't been any place yet. And I looked at him. I said, look, man, I said, you told me that you've been traveling around trying to find a church. I said, if you're serious about your walk with God, you're not going to let a Sunday go by that you're not trying to find some place where you can worship God, some place where you feel like that's where God wants you. I said, but the truth is every year when deer season comes around, you backslide. He looked, I wasn't the pastor of that church. <laughs> Everybody say, thank God. <laughs> but, and and he, his, his mouth just dropped open. I said, isn't it odd that you find some reason to walk away from God 
because you have more passion for something else. There's a woman saying, yes, that's true. A lot of wives say that every deer season. Yes, that's true. But what about when it's, well, there's a sale going on. And it starts, you know, and I, I, I want to be there for it. And it's, well, where's this sale at? Well, you know, I, I, my sister told me about it and she lives in Florida. So we're going to run down for the sale. But we're going to be right back. Isn't it odd how far we'll go pursuing something when we have a passion for it? I knew uh, everyone remembers Randy. He told me, he said, man, he said, Pastor, he said, I used to have such a passion for racing. He said, I had to get completely out of it. He said, anytime anybody met me, he said, the first thing I talked to him about was how I broke a record, you know, on ground speed on a motorcycle. He said, I, I, I was consumed with it. He, he said, I, I was just eat up with it. He said, but I recognized that that was getting between me and God, and he did something amazing. He gave it up. He sold that bike. He walked away from that because he knew it had a hold of him. How many of you know that it's all right to have hobbies and, and do things and have desire, but when that begins to take the place of your walk with God, there's something wrong with that. you got to shake that off. Everybody say, don't do it. We're not, we're, look, we're just not going to get through life without facing problems, but we don't have to face those problems alone. Look what the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He said, we're troubled on every side. Say that with me. Come on, say it loud. But there's a comma after that, and it said, and yet not distressed. Sometimes we're just focused on the trouble instead of the way that we get out of it. Paul's saying, we're troubled. And, and how many times does somebody go, oh, we're troubled, we're troubled. But we're, we're troubled on every side but we're not distressed. Are, are you with me? Troubled on every side, but not distressed. We are perplexed. Thank you. Let's, let's try it. Let's try it together. Honey, maybe you need to stand up and be my cheerleader in this section. You're right. Let's try it one more time. We're perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Think about it. Where are we putting our emphasis? On what's bothering us or what's delivering us? Is our emphasis on the problem or on the answer? Is it on the turmoil or on the Prince of Peace? Where are we at? I'm just telling you, you're not going to get through life without going through some of this stuff, but you don't have to go it alone. You can make the difference if you choose to invite him in. Remember that storm that was going on on the water? Disciples out in the boat and a big storms up, man, they think they're going to capsize and all of a sudden here comes Jesus walking out in the middle of that storm, scared them spitless. Man, they, they, they I mean, think about it. They look out and they see Jesus out there. They don't know whether it's a ghost or what. Jesus looks at him and said, hey man, it's me. Don't be afraid. 
Don't, don't be afraid. And when they invited them into their ship, what happened? No, storm didn't stop. When they invited him into their ship, the scripture said immediately they were at land. You've been struggling trying to get where you're going for years. And all you've got to do is open your heart and ask Jesus in and he can get you there in an instant. He can turn it around if you just let him. Turn around and look at your neighbor and say, let him. I can tell, man. I feel like somebody turned the clocks up because everybody's... Just, just let him. Everybody say it with me. Let him. We let, we trust a guy to pick up our trash every week that we don't even know. I want you to ask yourself a question. What have you put in your trash? What? You trust that that guy is not going to sort through your stuff. Well, I threw stuff in there. I threw all my information in there. I've thrown, you know, paycheck stubs, tax returns. Well, maybe not a tax return, but, you know, I've, I've thrown, you know, stuff in there. I've, I've cut credit cards in half because everybody knows you can't read the numbers once you cut it in half, thrown them in the trash. We just trust that he's not going to go through our trash. And yet we hang on to stuff. Where there's someone you can trust, can deal with your trash and never proclaim it to anyone, never use it against you, Never use it to defeat you. As a matter of fact, if he finds anybody sorting through your trash, he'll tell them, get out of here. Get your hands off of that. That doesn't belong to you. You're, I'm not going to. The Bible said that the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. Everybody say it. Safe. You're not going to get thrown out. You're not going to get taken out of the game when you choose to say, hear God. But what will happen is it'll free your heart. You won't carry the stress you've been carrying. You won't carry the worry you've been carrying when you choose to walk with him and make him the captain of your ship. You don't ever have to be alone have you ever needed to be rescued this past friday night i needed someone to rescue me where were you all <laughs> i started out in my old 300 with 310,000 miles on it the engine held up but the traction didn't came down Route 3, and I realized I was following a salt truck about 25, 30 miles an hour. And I thought, I wonder if he's going to take me all the way to Murfreesboro. No. 
he didn't even make it to where. I thought, really? Come on, man. You pulled off on some country road. Where are you going with that salt truck? He, he moved out of the way. and So now I'm navigating it and I'm trying to do it alone. I make it all the way down Route 3 and I get to 149. The foot of 149. And when I pulled onto 149 and I saw about five vehicles just scattered out, I knew there were problems. Now that's a rear wheel drive. I threw 160 pounds of concrete in the truck, in the trunk, before I left home. 280 pound bags of concrete. But this thing has something on it to help me. So if you slide, it disengages the drive shaft. It doesn't pull anymore. You know what I'm talking about? Like it's, it's so you don't hydroplane. And if you have a wheel that slips, it, it, it quits pulling altogether. You can't drive on snow like that. I'm pushing the button that's supposed to tell it off, and it's not listening. I start up the road, and I get about up that hill, and I get just a little ways up that hill, and I went like this. And so I'm spinning and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm giving it gas and the wheels aren't pulling. And I thought, what's wrong with this crazy car? And then I realized it wasn't working the way I wanted it to work. When I was a kid, I could slide sideways up a hill. You know what I'm talking about? You just fishtail your way to wherever you needed to go. But now I couldn't even get the fish to wag its tail. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't doing anything. We'd go in any place. And I was so frustrated. And I, I finally, I thought, man, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And then I started looking. I thought, well, that's pretty close to the ditch over there. So I put it in reverse and I started backing down. And I saw a guy in a four-wheel drive pickup truck. I didn't have a clue who he was. I rolled down my window. He wasn't paying attention to me. So I honked my horn. He looked over at me, rolled down the window. I said, hey. I said, can you give me a ride if I park this on the side of the road? He said, where are you going? I said, to Murfreesboro. He said, yeah, I'll give you a ride. So I backed up, got off the road, and climbed into a truck with someone I didn't even know. Why? Because I needed some help. We'll let strangers help us, but we won't let God help us. He could have been an axe murderer. Thankfully, he wasn't. I looked around. I didn't see any axes. I asked him, I said, you know, we got to talking, and he said, well, you know, are, are you coming home from work? I said, actually, I'm trying to get there. <laughs> what do you do? I said, I pastor church. He said, you're a pastor? I said, yeah. I didn't look like one. I had on blue jeans. I had on, I'd been painting at my daughter's house. They're trying to get in. I'd been painting and laying hardwood floor. I had dust all over me. You a pastor? Yeah. Don't I look like one? <laughs> and I got to talking to him about the Lord and somehow our conversation shifted and it became about people that we had been able to help in other places his eyes lit up and he said man that that's so good he said i'm i'm leaving sunday for colorado 
going to go to school there. I said, look, man, if you come back, will you come back to the church? I said, just come see us. And he said, I will. I promise I will. When I got out, I reached into my wallet to give him some money. He said, no, no, I don't want any money. I said, I know you don't, but I want to give you something because you helped me. And so I handed him a $20 bill, and he said, are you sure? I said, yeah, man. I said, you waited for me. You thought that, I, matter of fact, he told me, he said, I, I saw you going up sideways, and I, I thought you might need some help, so I just waited. And he didn't want anything in return, but I had to give him something. Does that sound like any other story you know? Someone that came and waited on us because they knew we would be in trouble. They knew we would need to be rescued. And he didn't ask anything from us. He was trying to get something to us. And because of what he got to me, I can't help but want to give something back to him because I'm excited now because he rescued me. Is anybody in the house today? There's a woman that had been bleeding to death for 12 years. She'd been hemorrhaging and she tried everybody else out and nobody could help her. And she looked at her or she looked at him and she made up her mind today is going to be different because she recognized him for who he was. When we start to see him for who he is instead of who we want him to be, it's going to dramatically change your life. She saw him for who he was, and she made a declaration. She said, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. But she did more than just make a proclamation she moved toward it. She acted on it. It doesn't matter how much we talk about how good God is and how great God is and how much we love him and how much we trust him unless we're willing to take a step out in faith and act on it. She wasn't even supposed to be in the crowd. She could have been stoned. But she said, look, me touching him is more important than anything else in my life. And so she acted on it, moved to warn him, and she found out something. She wasn't alone. <laughs> she wasn't alone. Would you stand with me? Let me ask you a question. What is it that's bleeding your life? What is it that's draining you a day at a time? I've, I've talked with people in travels that it was bitterness that was draining them just a little bit at a time holding on to stuff and wouldn't let it go it had separated relationships mothers from fathers and daughters from mothers and brothers from sisters 
my mom. His dad died. She found out that there were three boys and two girls. She found out that the girls had been left out of the will altogether. Nothing. Gave everything to the boys, and my mother started to cry. It wasn't because of the stuff. It was because of being forgotten. There's a guy hanging on that cross next to Jesus. And he looked at him, and of all the things to say, he doesn't say, save me, rescue me, get me off of this cross, help me, I'm in so much pain. He just looked at him and said, remember me. Don't forget me. I don't want to die in an abyss of forget for, for forgotten memories. Rescue. No, just remember. Because when he remembers you, friends, you're already rescued. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I'll go with you to the end. I was in a cemetery and walking through. I think I shared this with you before, but I was walking through and I came across. I, I, I used to, when I traveled all the time, I loved going to old cemeteries and just looking at tombstones. And, and then in my mind, I would imagine what their life was like. I found some dated in the 1700s and I, I thought about them and I was on the backside of nowhere, man. I was, I was someplace in, in a, a, a place called Plainview, Arkansas, and I'd driven out of town, and I was going down, and I mean, this place is country. And I'm, I'm driving through, and I, I made a turn on a gravel road, and I came up on a cemetery. Well, what were you doing driving around? I was just praying. I, a lot of times, that's what I'd do. I'd, I'd take off and drive and just pray and seek God. That's why my trip back and forth up here is so good for me because it gives me time. I came across this tombstone and it was in the early 1900s. She died in the early 1900s and it said, to a loving mother, a devoted wife, and my best friend. And I looked at that and I just stopped and I pondered those words and I turned walking away from that cemetery and I just started talking to God. I said, God, somehow that doesn't seem right. Someone that meant so much to so many would lay here forgotten. And immediately the Lord spoke to me and said, I haven't forgotten her. <laughs> oh, you may feel like you're on the backside of a desert. You may feel like the life has been being bled out of you and you don't have much left. But he hasn't forgotten you. He remembers. And if you choose to today, 
you can embrace him. You can make up your mind that I am not going to do life alone. And let him come and rescue you. It will change everything in just one moment. Would you pray with me as they sang this song right now? Let's just, would you stretch your hands toward heaven and begin to pray as they sang this? Thank you, Father. Sing it. Sing it with them. proclaim it just like she did I'm not leaving here the way I came I'm going to touch him but you need to do more than proclaim it you need to act on it you need to move toward him this is the start of a brand new year it's not time to begin to put things off it's a time to stand up and take hold of what God promised you. All of his promises are yea and amen. So this is what I'm going to ask you to do today. If there's some things that are going on in your life, now I'm not concerned, and I don't want you looking at people around you. This isn't about you and them. This is about you and him. Just ask yourself this question. Are there some things that I want, that I need God to do for me? But I've been trying to do this alone. I've been trying to do this without his help. I've just been trying, it's like, you know, we had a, a couch and I'm thinking, well, I can move it, I can move it. Debbie said, here, I'll help you. No, I don't need your help. I don't need your help. It wasn't that it was that heavy. It was that it was that long. Sometimes we we think we've got to be self-sufficient. It's not how he created you. How do you think it would make, let me ask you a question. Those of you that are fathers in here that are dads, how would it make you feel if one of your kids came up to you and you said, here, let me help you. And they turned around and looked at you and said, no, I don't need you, dad. I don't need your help. 
wouldn't it hurt you because in your mind you'd be saying but I'm your dad that's why I'm here I I want to help you I don't want you to have to go it alone I don't want you to have to try and navigate it by yourself let me help you my daughter's trying to get into a home they've been building a home and she's on a deadline and Debbie and I and you know it was she's just running out of time and Debbie and I went to him and said look I'm going to help you I'm going to come over and so for the last few days we've been going over on specific days and just working all day long trying to help them get done she came to me the other day I was getting ready to leave their house and she walked up to me and she stopped and she hugged me and she said dad she said there's no way that I can that, that I can put in words how much it's meant to me for you to be here it wasn't that I did so much stuff it was just the fact that she wasn't having to go it alone that she knew there was someone there in her corner someone fighting on her behalf oh come on and let daddy do it for you today raise your hands and say here I am time for you to make your declaration and act on it here I am God so this is what I say sing this right now if you're in this house if you're in this house I want you to make your declaration but I want you to act on it because faith without works is dead it's not going to do anything I just want you by an act of faith whatever it is you don't have to tell anybody whatever it is just step out of your pew bring it to the front bring it to the altar right now it's your way of telling God I don't want to do this alone I don't want to do this alone I'm going to count to three I want you to come one we hope you've been touched by today's message I wanted to take a moment and just remind you how very much God loves you the Apostle Peter tells us that it's not his will that any should perish but that all should come to repentance in the book of Jeremiah the 29th chapter God speaks through the prophet and tells us that I know what my plans are for you that they're plans for good and not for destruction to give you a future and a hope that's what God wants for your life he has a plan and a purpose designed specifically for you and you can walk into that plan and purpose by just asking him in your heart today I wonder if you would take a moment right now and just stop wherever you're at and pray this prayer with me God I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin Lord I believe that Jesus was crucified on my behalf that you raised him from the dead so that I could have life and right now I accept you as my Lord and Savior in Jesus name amen if you prayed that prayer and you meant it from your heart we believe that angels are rejoicing in heaven because you've come home now the important thing is for you to find a good Bible-believing church and become a part of that as you continue your journey with Jesus. We want to invite you to come and be with us any chance you get. Until then, remember, Jesus loves you, and we do too.